Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor of Whosoever. Thanks for joining us. Coming up on this Godcast, we'll find out how one new organization hopes a series of ad campaigns can help change the hearts and minds of those who use religion to support discrimination against GLBT people. And we'll talk with Jack Rogers about his new book that puts a new twist on the old argument of what the Bible does and does not say about homosexuality. Also, we'll take a meditation moment to help us center ourselves on God. But first, it's been a busy time for church news. Let's look at some of the things that have been happening. The Episcopalian Church has recently taken one step forward and two steps back. In a giant step forward, the 2.3 million member church selected the first woman to lead the church. Bishop Catherine Jefferts Shorey is currently the bishop of the Diocese of Nevada. She'll be installed on November 4th in a ceremony at the National Cathedral in Washington. Shorey is a friend to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. That's great news. She told CNN that she doesn't believe homosexuality is a sin. I believe that God creates us with different gifts, she said. Each one of us comes into this world with a different collection of things that challenge us and things that give us joy and allow us to bless the world around us. Some people come into this world with affections ordered toward other people of the same gender, and some people come into this world with affections directed at people of the other gender. Amen to Jeffrey Shorey. Jeffrey Shorey, who was raised a Roman Catholic and graduated in marine biology with a doctorate, special specializing in squids and oysters, supported the consecration of Gene Robinson in New Hampshire. He's the first openly gay bishop in more than 450 years of Anglican history. The 52-year-old bishop is married to Richard Shorey, a retired theoretical mathematician. They have one daughter, Catherine Johanna, who's 24 years old and is a second lieutenant in the U.S. Air Force and a pilot just like her mother. I like this woman more and more. Asked how she reconciled her position on homosexuality with specific passages in the Bible declaring sexual relations between men an abomination, Jeffrey Shorey said the Bible was written in a very different historical context by people asking different questions. The Bible, she says, has a great deal to teach us about how to live as human beings. The Bible does not have so much to teach us about what sorts of foods to eat, what sorts of clothes to wear. There are rules in the Bible about those that we don't observe today. She went on, the Bible tells us about how to treat other human beings, and that's certainly the great message of Jesus, to include the unincluded. Amen. In a step backward, however, a key committee of the church responding to criticism from fellow Anglicans worldwide for the consecration of Gene Robinson approved an expanded and more strongly worded apology for the action. Many who supported Robinson's elevation say they're not sorry for what they did, but conservatives are still upset by it, and some U.S. churches have placed themselves under the jurisdiction of bishops elsewhere in the world in protest. The approved statement says the U.S. church expresses its, quote, regret for breaching the proper restraints of the bonds of affection, unquote, Quote, with the events surrounding the 2003 convention and, quote, the consequences which followed, unquote. It offers the church's sincerest apology to those who are offended by our failure to accord sufficient importance to the impact on our church and ask, quote, forgiveness as we seek to live in deeper levels of communion with one another, unquote. An earlier proposal basically repeated an apology the bishops had issued in 2005, expressing regret for the pain that others have suffered by Robinson's elevation. But in the largest step backward, the church reversed an earlier decision and adopted a resolution to avoid the consecration of additional gay bishops. 
The resolution adopted by both the church's bishops and by lay and clergy diocesan representatives voting in separate bodies calls on bishops and local committees to, quote, exercise restraint by not consenting to the consecration of any candidate for bishop whose manner of life presents a challenge to the wider church and will lead to further strains on communion, unquote. The Presbyterians, meanwhile, decided to split the baby. They voted to allow some leeway for gay clergy members and lay officers to serve local congregations despite a ban on partnered gay ministers, a measure approved by a 298 to 221 vote by the Presbyterian National Assembly keeps in place a church law that says clergy members and lay elders and deacons must limit sexual relations to man-woman marriage. But the new legislation says local congregations and regional presbyteries can exercise some flexibility when choosing members of the clergy and lay officers of local congregations if sexual orientation or other issues arise. The decision comes after a long struggle between liberals and conservatives in the 2.3 million member denomination. Stay with us on our Godcast. Coming up next, we'll talk with Jimmy Creech, a former Methodist minister who now leads Faith in America. What do a defrocked Methodist minister, a furniture maker, and a former self-described homophobic right-wing bigot have in common? A commitment to ending religious-based discrimination against gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. Their weapon of choice? Advertising. Jimmy Creech, the former Methodist minister who now leads Faith in America, the organization spearheading the advertising campaign, said the ads are intended to provoke reflection and conversation and hopefully change people's attitudes against gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. Faith in America, based in Raleigh, North Carolina, is the brainchild of Mitchell Gold, a businessman who founded a successful furniture company in Taylorsville, North Carolina. Over the past several years, Gold became more keenly aware of the role religion played in justifying discrimination against GLBT people. Last year, Gold had the idea of using ads in newspapers around the country to convey the message that religion has been used in the past to justify slavery, racial segregation, to deny women their full rights, to persecute non-Christians and Christians with minority beliefs, and to deny all of these people full rights. Enter Brent Childers, owner of a small ad agency in Hickory, North Carolina. Two years ago, Childers described himself as a homophobic right-wing Christian Republican bigot. His epiphany came, though, during a dinner with his mother. During a particularly homophobic rant, his mother told him his attitude was not Christ-like. That gave him pause, and after much searching and reflecting, he's become supportive of GLBT people. Gold approached Childers about an ad campaign and asked him to create advertisements that would have moved him before he changed his mind about homosexuality. Creech says what he produced are a series of powerful ads full of provocative images and words. The first ad we ran is an ad that features Clarence Thomas and his wife Virginia, a a photo of them standing together. Clarence Thomas, of course, is African-American, and and Virginia Thomas is... uh, uh, Caucasian, uh, Anglo-American. The banner over it is a question, offense against God, and then underneath it uh, explains that until 1967, it was illegal in many states in the country for people of of different races to marry. 
And then the Supreme Court, of course, overturned those laws. And then it says the real offense against God is the uh, misuse of religion to justify bigotry. Then it also makes the, the point that same-gender couples are denied the right to marry today, uh, just as interracial marriages were denied before 1967. And that is also an offense against God because the arguments used to support uh, are to, to deny marriage to same-gender couples. The religious arguments are, um, are corrupt and, and, um, uh, and wrong. Mm-hmm. So that, we ran that in Roll Call, which is the congressional newsletter uh, paper, in, I think it was on January 13th. And the National Black Justice Coalition agreed to sponsor it. We paid for it, had the ad placed, uh, but the National Jack, Black Justice Coalition had their name on the um, ad as the sponsor. Uh, this is the way we really want to work as much as we can, uh, in, you know, collaboratively with other organizations around the country. Um, Tucker Carlson saw the ad and had Alexander Robinson, who is the executive director of the National Black Justice Coalition, appear on his evening program and uh, just grilled him for <laughs> involving. Uh, Ms. Thomas in this controversy and uh, of course Alexander was saying you know that we are delighted that Virginia and Clarence Thomas are, are legally allowed to marry and protected in that marriage and that's all we're asking for uh, same gender couples. Nine ads are available and Creech hopes that they can form partnerships with organizations and churches around the country to get the ads placed in newspapers in every market large and small. Faith in America supplies the ads for free, depending on the churches and organizations to raise funds to place the ads. At the moment, two campaigns are going on, one in Indianapolis, sponsored by Jesus MCC, and another in the area around Gold's Factory in North Carolina. Creech said all the ads are great, but some stand out for him. I like the one with the Ku Klux Klan uh, that has a message, you know, remember when, uh, sign of love, was used as a sign of hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that one I, is, is my favorite. I also like the family, um, the couple with a child, uh, obviously staying grace at uh, dinner or at, at table. <laughs> I had encouraged us to make that couple a same-gender couple, but the ad was already created by the time I got on board and just didn't have the money to redo it, so uh, I would have liked that. But I I like the idea of, um, or or the message that this cultural war is going to destroy us, and and all we want is to be able to raise our children in in an atmosphere that is loving and accepting of all people. But Creech understands that changing deeply held religious beliefs about GLBT people is no easy task, and it will certainly take more than an ad campaign. He believes the underlying problem is millennia of anti-erotic and anti-sexuality beliefs that are deeply ingrained in both society and the church. Consequently, uh, um, the church developed teachings that said any sexual activity that does did not uh, have the potential for procreation was was sinful and even evil. Mm-hmm. And so, the, I mean, I, I think it, it's across the board, whether you're gay or non-gay, uh, this whole uh, anti-eroticism um, or anti-sexuality 
uh, mindset of the church has really crippled us a great deal to appreciate our bodies and our sexuality. And the thing that um, truly affirming gay people does in our society uh, is, that it, it is that it affirms sexuality. You can talk about, when you talk about gay people, lesbian, bisexual people, you're, you're immediately the, the sexuality is a, is a part of the definition. When you, talk, when you talk about people in general, you can sort of just ignore the sexual dimension of people. But to speak of gay or lesbian or bisexual is to refer to sexuality. And to affirm them is to affirm sexuality. Mm -hmm. And to assert, affirm it not as a mechanical act to procreate, but as a, a source of pleasure and, a source, and, a, and a, an act of love. And that is, I think, in our culture, very, very difficult. Um, so, you know, to, to truly affirm gay people, uh, that's being gay, bisexual, and transgender people, is to affirm sexuality uh, beyond the, you know, the act of procreation. And that is troubling within the conservative orthodoxy of, of Christianity. Creech hopes the ads then will begin a deeper conversation that will have the same effect such conversations had on children's, creating an atmosphere of change. We suspect that most of the thoughtful people who are, who are really going to perhaps be impacted by these ads are not going to respond right away. It's going to take some time for this reflection to happen, and uh, it's not going to be all, uh, immediate. And so we're hoping that, you know, that, that the, the change of minds and hearts will, uh, will happen over time. Churches and organizations that are interested in partnering with Faith in America to place ads in their area newspapers can contact Creech at jimmycreech at faithinamerica.com or you can visit the website faithinamerica.info for more information and to view all of the ads that are available. It's time now for our meditation moment. This is the part in our Godcast where we slow down and try to center ourselves in God. Presbyterian theologian Shirley Guthrie writes in his book Christian Doctrine, To be a Christian is not to have arrived at some state or condition of Christian existence. It is to be consistently having growing pains. It is not to be something, but to be becoming something. It is never to think that we have arrived, but to be constantly on the way. So the question is, have you arrived as a Christian? Have you learned it all? Do you know the difference for all time between right and wrong, good and evil, moral and immoral? Well, if you do, Guthrie says, you've probably lost your way. This is the paradox of Christianity that Guthrie points out. Once we think we've arrived as a Christian, that we've mastered all it means to be a Christian is exactly the point that we have lost the entire meaning of Christianity. Christianity is not about arriving, it's about journeying with God. The point of Christianity is not this final goal, but the lessons that we're learning along the way as we journey with God. As Christians, we should always be growing, always evolving, always moving forward, not afraid to ask questions or to have our faith challenged. 
that necessarily involves pain. Often we reach points in the journey where we think we just can't go on. Our beliefs, our hopes, our dreams of what it means to be on the way as a Christian have all been shattered. We're left with the pieces of our lives and little direction in how to pick up those pieces and go on. This is where our faith comes in. To go on, to be constantly on the way, requires faith that the journey will ultimately be worthwhile. I've been asked many times what it's like to be a Christian, but I always tell people that I have no idea what it's like to be a Christian. I know a lot, though, about what it's like to become a Christian. It takes a lot of work, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, and truckload after truckload of faith and hope. In the end, I doubt I'll ever be a Christian. The best I can hope for is a fruitful journey that ends with the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Think on these words now. Being a Christian is never to think that we have arrived, but to be constantly on the way. Jack Rogers is a former professor at San Francisco Theological Seminary and was the moderator of the 213th General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. Rogers, a self-described evangelical Christian, had been steeped in theology and knows his way around the Bible. But the issue of gays and lesbians in the church hadn't been on his mind until he was asked several years ago and reluctantly agreed to serve on a task force at his church in Pasadena, California as they explored becoming a more light church. The exploration was an intensive nine-month process where the 15-member panel explored the scriptures and other aspects of homosexuality. The board members ranged from a gay man to a heterosexual man who vowed to bar the door so lesbian evangelist Janie Sparr could not visit their church. In the end, the church decided against becoming a Morelite church, but Rogers found that Morelite had been shed on the subject for him personally. That experience and many others led him to write his latest book called Jesus, the Bible, and Homosexuality. I talked with Rogers recently and asked him what makes his book different from all the other books out there addressing homosexuality in the Bible. I think what is distinctive about my book is that I make a biblical case for equal rights for people who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. I'm an evangelical Christian. I came to this through my own, uh, through studying the scriptures in my own local congregation. And I just never paid that much attention to this issue before. And when I had to, I just began to see that the scriptures had a whole different tenor to them than I had been led to believe. You state in your book that, uh, that you pose a question, that can you imagine Jesus turning away from someone who is despised or discriminated against? The objection I hear to that from the other side is, well, Jesus accepts everyone, but expects us to repent of our sin, meaning homosexuality. How do, how do you react to that? Well, that's the thing we have to go straight to. The assumption that homosexuality as such is sin is simply false. And... Uh, the Bible condemns sexual immorality mm -hmm. 
and all kinds of immorality. And we need to be clear to whom do particular scriptures apply. To talk about Christian people who love Jesus and love the Bible and are living, you know, faithful Christian lives and then say, oh, but they're sinners just because of the way that they uh, have their uh, affection for another person. Mm -hmm. that's, that's putting the boundary in the wrong place. We need to be against promiscuity. We need to be against all kinds of immorality. Right. But immorality is not associated with a person's sexual orientation. You had written that uh, we don't glorify God if we interpret Scripture in a way that is hurtful to people. Yeah. But on the other side, I've encountered arguments that they believe that they are acting in love by opposing homosexuality. That is their loving standard, and what they tell me is, well, you know, the truth hurts sometimes. How do you react to that? Again, that's on the assumption that homosexual behavior as such is sin and that it is hurtful and destructive. Hmm. Now, the, the, the ex-gay people that you run into will tell you these stories of all the, the terrible life they led until they began to love Jesus and get all cleaned up, and probably they were abusing drugs and they were sexually promiscuous. They needed to get straightened out. Sure That's thing. right. Yeah. But, but the fact that people had told them that it was their homosexuality that was causing these things mm -hmm. is a false premise. When there are other people who live quite decent lives as citizens and godly lives as Christians, and that a, a faithful covenant relationship with another person where you're committed to each other for life turns out to be a very helpful and nurturing and uh, positive thing in a person's life. Uh, it's, the, it's the drugs and it's the promiscuity, and so it's the problem. It's not homosexual. A homosexual person, a person who's homosexual can live a very wholesome life in mm -hmm. relation to another person of the same orientation. And we there's just plenty of evidence for that. One more objection that I had here was uh, you had written that homosexuality was a part of God's created order, and you had made that statement after you were talking about uh, homosexuality shows up in uh, animals, in, in many species of animals. Now, I actually got this objection when I was on a talk show, a conservative Christian talk show, uh -huh. where they I, I used that argument, you know, that homosexuality yeah. occurs in nature, therefore it is natural. And the objection I heard was, no, homosexuality is part of the fall, and it wasn't originally intended by God. That homosexuality shows the brokenness of our world. <laughs> how do you res I didn't know how to respond to that one. It was, what would you, what would you have said? Well, I'm sure you did wonderfully well, but uh, the, the two uh, people I deal with in my book who are the most moderate but still anti-equal uh, rights for gay people um, are uh, Richard Hayes of Duke and Marty Swords of Louisville Seminary. Mm -hmm. And that's the argument they both use. They say, well, it's not that an individual a gay person is wicked, but it's that homosexuality as such is an example of the fall. And I want to say, now wait a minute, as a Calvinist, all sexuality is uh, tainted by the fall. Uh -huh. All of life is tainted by the fall. What do you mean? Some parts are more than others? That's bad theology. The, the theology, an Augustinian theology says everything in life is tainted by the fall, but everything in life can be redeemed 
by Jesus Christ's spirit in our midst. So it's a very arbitrary thing. I say, well, that's the worst example of the fall. Why? Just because I don't like it. Well, that's no good. One of the things I really do like about your book is that, is that, that you didn't just sort of jump right in and say this is what the Bible says and doesn't say, but you took this great process of, of looking at how the church has dealt with other controversial issues like slavery and the ordination of women, um, and, you, and you really show how they came to a point where that was accepted without the Bible suddenly being ruined, which is what I hear most often as well. If that's yeah. if the Bible's wrong on that, then the Bible's wrong on everything. Well, the Bible was wrong about slavery and women, too, and obviously you still think it's a sacred book. So can you encapsulate how the church went through that sort of process on those issues and how you see it coming to a head in, in this issue? Well, that history is very meaningful to me, but I'm an academic, and so the first thing I did after my eyes being opened on the homosexuality issue, I went and studied what I thought might be other. I wanted to know how the church dealt with other similarly volatile issues, mm -hmm. and so I did slavery and segregation, the role of women, and divorce and remarriage. What I saw when I did this was a very clear pattern, both of prejudice against these marginalized people and a change of mind on the part of the church, and it doesn't happen until the 1940s. And it happens with the introduction of what we've called neo-orthodoxy, the theology of Karl Barth. These are theologies I was never interested in, in my own uh, evangelical growing up. But now I can see that looking at the Bible in a Christ-centered way, instead of looking at it as an encyclopedia of oddly assorted facts, any one of which you can pull out and make a universal law, mm -hmm. but a Christological approach, or what I always, the, the um, way I speak of it, is looking at the Bible through the lens of Jesus' redemptive life and ministry. And, and that's what the church did. It moved from a literalism to looking at the Bible through the lens of Jesus' redemptive life and ministry. And when we did that, then we could deal with the social issues. Then we repudiated the racism and repudiated the sexism. But every time we come to a new issue, mm -hmm. we lapse back into the old bad ways of literalism. And that's exactly what we've got on our hands now uh, with this homophobia, is, is treating the Bible as if it were just a, a stockpile of quotes that you could pull out and claim are directly applicable. And what makes what makes things different when you when you look through the lens of Jesus's redemptive life and ministry when you're when you're looking at these volatile issues? Well, you discover that Jesus' attitude Jesus never goes out on a moral crusade against people that are marginalized in society. Mm -hmm. He does all he does the exact opposite. He brings in people who are considered outcasts by his culture, and that's women and persons with disabilities and. Samaritans, you know, people who weren't Jews, and this was a big thing because these were all people that you were not supposed to have anything to do with because they were manifest sinners, you know. And so the the problem is that I had seen this pattern that that um, in in all these slaveries and women and now people who are homosexual, people claim three things that the Bible condemns this as sin that these people are inferior in moral character and these people are willfully sinful, usually sexually promiscuous, and deserve punishment for mm. their acts. Yep. And that pattern, I didn't 
I didn't know that. It, that a pattern appeared when you begin to study that thing. And we are so selective in terms of what we remember historically mm. that people will claim, oh, we never said things like that about women or African Americans. Well, I can give you a list of quotes as long as my arm, you know, mm -hmm. on every one of those things. And we're just doing the same thing. So we, we've got to relearn what we did before. We've got to move from a literalism to looking at the Bible through the lens of Jesus' life and ministry, looking at the Bible as a whole and seeing that Jesus is the central character and thus the best interpreter of all of it. So you put everything in context and, and you see the theme of God's redemptive acts in Jesus Christ as what the Bible is about. Let me let me ask you this because this has been something that's been asked of me um, and 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 is a challenging question to me. Maybe it won't be to you, but <laughs> because you've worked really closely with people who people of good faith who have disagreed with you, how do we live in the church? Um, and I'm not talking about those extremists that just want to you know spout you know yeah. it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve sort of things. Yeah. But how do you deal with with people of genuine goodwill? who have done their own study, who have done all the work, and they still come to the conclusion that it's wrong. Yeah. Well, I think we just have to, uh, we have to be respectful. We have to be loving to other people. We have to recognize that people can look at the same texts and situations and come to different conclusions. That's just reality. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just want to be sure that we're talking about the same thing. I want to uh, always affirm to people, I share your values. I'm against promiscuity. I'm against sexual misconduct. I'm, I think we need to have boundaries. But let's draw them in the right place, and let's not persecute some people just because we may not understand or agree with their particular behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, but let's make everybody subject to the same kinds of um, moral judgments. Right. And that's difficult. And my, one of my, my son, Toby, to whom I dedicate the book, who was very helpful to me in the writing of it, uh, he says, Dad, when you're out there speaking, you don't have, people don't have to be converted on the spot. If they move just one step, mm. that's progress. And maybe something else will move them further, you know. Very true, very true. So I try to remember that. So are you hopeful on this issue that it's not a matter of, of if but when? I am. I, there's no question in my mind that we will change. The question is just how long is it going to take. And I am, uh, like a theologian friend of mine said, I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. Mm -hmm. And I am hopeful. I see a lot of signs as I'm out traveling around the country speaking. I just see lots of signs that people are hungry for what they perceive to be a reasonable uh, Christian, biblically-based approach. And, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, we kind of felt that way, <laughs> but they needed somebody to say it was okay to feel that way. For more information about Rogers and his book, you can visit his blog at drjackrogers.com. That's drjackrogers.com.
Now it's time for a little holy humor, with apologies to the author of the beloved poem, Footprints. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, What have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but, Lord, they are too big for human feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, I got fed up, and there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand, or leave their butt prints in the sand. Thank you so much for joining us for Whosoever Magazine's Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Corrali. Other music included Run by Aaron Starks, Snakebite by Heavy Mellow, Under Fire and Water by Jamie Janover and Michael Masley, and Wave by Reza Manzuri. All available from magnitude.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find Whosoeverins in your area when you join our Rainbow Fish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, we hope you'll consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It takes money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web, where we have been a valuable resource to our community for a decade. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate, or you can send checks directly to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 727, Camden, South Carolina, 29021. Remember, Whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit. That means all donations are tax-deductible. Coming up in our next podcast, we'll focus on ex-gay ministries as we talk with Wayne Besson about his new organization, Truth Wins Out, and we'll hear from Peterson Toscano, who has turned his ex-gay experiences into several wonderful plays. We hope you'll join us. Until then, may God bless you richly.